Hello, sisters. I have a teaching that I had taught about four years ago from the book of Ruth that I'll be sharing with you on this podcast. It is a seven-part series, and we'll be going verse by verse through the book of Ruth. So grab your Bible or just listen while you're doing your daily tasks. Either way, the Word of God is going to get into you today. God bless you. Hey, family. Welcome to God's Word, Transforming Lives. Are you ready to dive deeper into your walk with Christ? Do you desire to learn His Word with a greater understanding that applies to your daily living? Do you feel like you're in a vicious cycle of victory and defeat? My name is Amy, and friend, I was so frustrated with my faith walk for decades. No matter what I did, I could not escape the symptoms that trauma from my childhood left me with. Not only that, I didn't seem to experience any victory that I read about in the Word of God. And even worse, I couldn't see it or experience it in my church life either. It all left me feeling even more confused and more empty. I knew Christ was the way and the truth and the life, and I knew His Word was the answer. So finally one day, I got fed up with living in defeat, and I became determined to find the Jesus of Scripture. I discovered true faith in Christ and had to unlearn much of what I had been taught. With God's Word and His Spirit, I have been free from anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, and suicidal thoughts for almost 15 years, and I have learned a tool set to overcome my past trauma and losses. God's Word has transformed my life. If you are ready for truth and transformation, then hop into the slow cooker with me and let's marinate together in God's Word. Did you know I have a free sisterhood community of women just like you? Women who love Jesus and they love one another. They too are looking for that deeper walk with Christ and they love learning his word. If you pause right now and click the link below in the show notes, it'll take you right to the Facebook group. We look forward to getting to know you. All right, Ruth chapter two. Just to kind of sum up last week when we talked about Ruth chapter one, you know, just remember that uh, Naomi had, um, there was a famine in the land of Bethlehem in the promised land where they were at. And by the husband's direction, they decided to leave the promised land and go into the land of Moab. And as we discussed last week, Moab would have been a land of paganism, idolatry, sexual morality. It would not have been a land for, of God. And um, it was a poor choice on the husband. And we talked a lot in length last week about why it's so important that we choose godly husbands, single ladies, um, because they are the head and they are gonna make decisions for your family and we are called to submit to them. And whether we like it or not, um, no matter how much we pray and how much we war and how much we worship and it still affects your home to have an ungodly man in the home it affects you it affects your children it affects generations um, and so I'm more addressing you single ladies you know that you know it's really really important that you um, choose wisely who you're who you're yoked up with for the rest of your life God said you know that it's um, we're not to be unequally yoked what does light have to do with darkness? And there's a reason for that. And so we went in length. If you guys want to go back, if you weren't here last week, you can go back and watch Ruth chapter one. So we really talked about that. So it ended up bringing a lot of curses into her, her life. Her husband ends up dying. 
Um, her two sons end up marrying Moabite women, which was, you know, not a good decision. The men, even the, the sons, did not bring them back to the promised land, and then they end up dying because they, too, were being disobedient to God. They had been teenagers, likely, by the time they moved over there, so the fact that they didn't also say when Dad died, they should have immediately said, okay, Mom, let's go back to the promised land. We need to get back to God. And they didn't either. They were tainted, obviously, by the land of Moab. They clearly got tainted by the culture and by their new wives. And so then God took them out. They're dead. So Naomi, the second she gets released from these ungodly men that are making poor decisions in her life, she immediately goes back to God. I found that very interesting, that she needs to go back to her people and back to her God. She knows that's where the promised land is. She knows where, that, where that's where she needs to be. And then, of course, the one daughter-in-law went with her and the other one did not. Now, when Naomi greets the town, we're, as we're getting ready to start here, Naomi greets the town and she says, no longer call me Naomi, which it used to mean pleasurable or just a pleasant person to be around. You know, she's like, just call me Mara, for God has dealt bitterly with me. You know, she feels like God's anger is upon her. His, she just feels like he's mad at her, you know, and what she doesn't see is the big picture that's about to happen that, you know, God is a God of redemption. So when we even, even when we make poor choices, even when we, we do things against him, if we give our hearts back to him, we repent, he's a good God to redeem us. And so, and, and Ruth decides to go with her. Ruth, and we had talked about this, that Naomi must have been a beautiful woman of God. She must have really demonstrated to her daughter-in-law's God because Ruth didn't want to go back to her people and back to what was comfortable. She was willing to lay it all down and go and serve the one true God. And she even said, I'll die where you die. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. And we're going to see that kind of develop as we get into chapter two here. So I'm going to start back at verse 21, um, right before chapter 2. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Remember, nothing is written by accident. The writer here did not have to put the barley harvest, you know, because they don't, they just kind of say it and move on. But actually, it's very important to see that, because this book, although it was written in the Old Testament, it's also for us, it's a type and shadow of Christ who was to come, the Messiah who was to come. And that barley harvest is the first fruit of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, the bread of life. Bread is made from barley. It's the bread of life. And so we're already seeing that, that, that foreshadowing of Jesus Christ <clears throat> written in the word here. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great, my phone ring. there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Emelech, his name was Boaz. Boaz meaning strength, a man of strength. So Ruth was, Moabite, was a Moabitist, said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. You see, Ruth here had to have known enough of the Jewish law, Naomi had to have taught her enough of the Jewish law to know that she could go and glean. The Jewish law back from Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you know, God always makes provision for the poor. That when, so when the reapers would go out and they would reap the land, they were told that they needed to leave so much on the corners and in the borders. And also if anything fell to the ground, leave it there. And it was for the poor. It was for the people that became orphans or the you know fatherless, um, a widow. So it was for the needy strangers, fatherless and the widows. So, and so, you know, just notice these things. God does make provision for the poor. 
But of course, as a stranger coming into the land, they need to obey the laws of that land. They would have had to obey God's laws and God's ways of doing things. Now, Ruth would have been taught this by Naomi. I still believe this kind of backs up what I thought in chapter one, that Naomi was a, a woman of God, even in the Moabite land, and did teach her daughter-in-laws about her God. I bet she talked about him every day, just like I would, just like you would. You know, someone in your home, you'd want to be, oh, my God, and he's so good. And, you know, and so she knew enough. So she said, will you give me permission to go and glean the land to go? Because they needed food. I mean, Naomi's a widow. They're both widows now. They're poor. They have nothing. And she says, go, my daughter. So verse 3, then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Emelach. And so she, meet, so she just happens to go, come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Well, we know that there's nothing that happens by accident. We're already seeing God's provision. We're already seeing God putting her in the right place at the right time. And God does that for us. When we're walking in obedience to God, when we're walking in his ways and his statutes, he will put us in the right places at the right time when we are walking by the Holy Spirit of God. He will. Look for those signs. Sometimes we think, why do you have me in this place right now? Why do you have me here? It doesn't seem like I should have to go through this or I should have to be here. But he's got you in the right place at the right time if you're being obedient and following after his Holy Spirit. So she's right here. So this is God's provision here. He's in, he comes in and he is a part of his creation. He's got everything in his hands. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. And the Lord be with you literally means Lord's presence with the workers in the field. So he said, I pray the Lord's presence is with you while you're working today. I pray that he's just walking beside you, that you're feeling his presence, that he's helping you in the reaping. He's giving you the strength. He's giving you everything that you need as you're working today. Lord be with us. When we're out working, when we're being moms, when we're, you know, being daughters, moms, workers, the Lord be with us. He should be with us at all times. And he is with us if you're a child of God. But often we don't think of it. We don't realize that he is with us. We're representing him in all things that we do. And he is with us in all things. That even when you're at work and there's something going on, man, you just ask God right then and there. I need help right now. I need help with this project, this paper, this phone call, this whatever. Right? When you're at home, God, can you help me with this? He's with us and he's helping us. And so that's how they greeted. And then he greet, they greeted back to him, the Lord bless you. And that means the Lord makes their lives work fruitful, their lives and their work fruitful. So when we go and we work and the Lord is ever present in our life, we're walking with him daily. He's, he's our all in all. It blesses our lives. It makes our lives fruitful. It makes the work that we do fruitful. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to have Mercedes Benzes and big mansions, but he makes what we do <clears throat> fruitful. We're bearing good fruit for the Lord. Everything we should do, everything we do should bear good fruit. If we're doing it unto the Lord, whether we're earning crowns to lay at his feet, we're developing good fruit in us so that others can draw from that fruit, but the, everything we do should have good fruit com coming from it. Verse, uh, verse five, then Boaz said to the servant who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman, whose young woman is this? Some commentary, some theologians thought that maybe he was saying like, 
whose young woman is this? As in, she was still wearing her um, mourning clothes. So he was wondering, like, whose widow is she? Whose widow is this? So the servant was in charge of the reapers, answered and said, it is the young Moabite woman who came back from Naomi from the country of Moab. I like how they're always saying Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite. Like they, they keep attaching her old self, her old country, her old way of life. Sometimes you can think, well, my gosh, that's such a negative. Like would I really want to be called, you know, Amy the fornicator? fornicator you know or whatever you know but I think what they're saying here is Ruth the one who left paganism the one who left all her old life behind the one who left her mother and her father the one that could have had another husband could have had a, could have actually bore children because remember she was barren so she didn't bear any children with her first husband you know the one that could have had what seems to be so amazing in this life left it all for that which is spiritual, for the one true God. And I think that's such a beautiful content to us. When, when God chooses us and we give our lives over to him, that old life goes away. Behold, all things are made new, new creations in Christ, born again. And we've left, and some of us have left a lot. Some of us had lost family members because of our Christianity. We've lost boyfriends and girlfriends. We've lost an old life. We've lost friends. We've lost maybe even jobs, you know, there's people, you know, whatever, but we're willing to sacrifice it all to go and have a relationship with the one true God. And we realize there's nothing more precious. There's nothing this earth has to offer us compared to what God has for us. And that's what she did. She left it all for the one true God. Verse seven. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from the morning until now though she rested a little in the house. So she asks, asks again for permission, you know, please allow me to continue to glean. You know, she understands the chain of command. She honors and respects her, the employer, or honors and respects the man in charge. This is your field. I'm going to respect it, ask you, please let me stay here. Please let me do this. You know, and we need to have that same, you know, there is, you know, we need to have honor and respect for whoever has us employed. We need to be the best employees that they have. You know, so I remember one time uh, listening to something they were saying um, there's employers out there that said, you know, that people will come to them and say, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm going to be a really good employee. And so many employers out there will tell you that Christians are the worst people to hire because they end up being the worst employees. And I think that's such a sad state because we should be the best employees. We should have the most integrity coming in early, leaving late you know what I mean giving a hundred and ten percent time yeah like so Christians will come in and be like I'm a Christian but in their experience the Christians that they have worked with or hired in the past have actually been their worst employees and I think that's sad and we know that I mean how many people have said some of the most judgmental and mean people are Christians because that's been their experience some of the biggest hypocrites are Christians because that's been their experience we all have had that have we not experienced that ourselves the biggest hypocrites are pastors having affairs, you know, stinky men and women that treat you horribly, but yet they're Christian, right? We've all had those experiences with people who name themselves Christian, and it's giving a bad reputation to those who are truly Christian. Not that we don't ever fall short or mess up, but they're talking about is when they watch our lives, you know, do they see that love? Do they see that compassion? Do they see a representation of Jesus Christ? 
And so we want to make sure that we're representing that when we're in the workplace, when we're in wherever we're at, the marketplace, in our homes, in the schools, wherever God has us, that we really are those written epistles. We are, sometimes you hear that cliche, like we may be the only Bible a non-believer reads, you know? Well, what would they say about your Jesus if they just watched your life? What would they think of your Jesus if they just watched your life? Would they see someone who's foul-mouthed? Would they see someone who likes dirty jokes? Would they see someone who is having sex outside of marriage? Would they see someone who's on drugs and alcohol and, you know what I mean? I mean, what would they see? Or would they see love and compassion and faithfulness and, you know, truthfulness, all the attributes of God, those good attributes, you know? And then again, of course, none of us are perfect, so we all fall short. So when we do, we just need to make sure that we repent and restore those around us so that they can also see a heart of repentance, a heart of, hey, I'm, I'm not perfect, so I'm sorry. Sorry I did that, sorry I've said that. Family, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If it has blessed you in any way, would you give me 30 seconds and share it with a friend of yours? One more small little favor, if you would, head over to whatever podcast source you're listening to this on and give me a five-star review. That would be so great. It helps get the episodes out there to other people who may be wanting to learn God's word. Again, Don't forget, guys, until next time, it is a crockpot faith, not a microwave. With God's word, discipleship, and patience, you too will be transformed for his good work. Grace and peace, I leave with you until next time.